Jesus. We need your rain to soften the soil of our hearts. That you might come and do the deep, transformative work that is in your heart today. So we welcome you, King of kings and Lord of lords. We welcome you now. Can I ask you to just invite you to do something? You don't have to, but I'm just going to invite you. Maybe to just take a small step outside of your comfort zone for just, just a moment. As we're singing, do not shut up. Go ahead, keep those words up. Do not shut up to heaven. Open up my heart. If you would just maybe lift your hand up above your head with open hands, just invite you to do that right now. Just as a symbolic yes to him right now. Jesus, we welcome you. At the very beginning of this service, Hannah shared the scripture out of Romans about how the, all the earth is groaning and how your people are groaning, awaiting for you. So Lord, we lift our hands with openness to say we are waiting for you today with open hearts, open minds, open spirit to receive what you have to say to us today. Come and pour, come and open, open the heavens. We don't want to run from your altar. We don't want to run from your work. We want to embrace your work and say yes. We want to say yes to you today, Lord, in the deeper place than we've ever gone before. Come now. Transform the heart of our, our hearts and the heart of this body that we might be more like you, Lord. More fully, more fully reflecting your face. More rightly representing you in the world. We pray, speak now, living eternal word, come and cut deep, lay bare, and transform in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, yes, amen. Amen means so be it, yes. So we say yes. You may be seated in his presence as we prepare to receive his word again this morning. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us into his presence this morning. Today we continue a series that we began um, on Easter entitled Salt and Light, where we are taking um, our time to really delve into the Sermon on the Mount. Now, a lot of people say that they love the Sermon on the Mount. Have you read it? I don't know what's going on with you, but I know what's going on with me. And that is, as I read and seek to um, discern and discover the heart of what Jesus is saying, his message is messing with me. This morning before service, as we were praying, has had this picture of 
Jesus working in the gardens of our hearts. And moving foundation stones. The Word of God says that Jesus is the cornerstone. And the cornerstone um, functions in two ways. A cornerstone um, becomes the sort of the, well, becomes that truly foundational place upon which everything else gets built. It is the solid place that, that sets the whole house in its right place. Secondly, it's the stone that actually orients. It's whatever the, whichever place the cornerstone is oriented, the whole building gets oriented around that cornerstone. It is the stone that defines where true will be. Everything else comes off of that cornerstone. Jesus is the cornerstone. We, then, are living stones, the Bible said, who get built together with the apostles, the prophets, and we get, we get laid in place by the builder, Jesus. The cornerstone puts us in place and builds us on and according to the true of his cornerstone. He as the cornerstone. So what I was hearing in my spirit this morning in prayer, what I was seeing in my spirit was Jesus adjusting those foundations, moving in places deep within us. Shifting, changing, adjusting, moving. In places beyond even our conscious understanding, deep down in those spiritual places, those places like, again, the word, you know, the, where, where the Bible says, you know, the Spirit of God groans with words that, that words can't even express. Those places within us, there's groans. And I want to, you know, that I find myself, as I'm coming to this word of the Sermon on the Mount, I, I find myself groaning. Because I sense God's movement in my spirit, in my soul, in the depths of my being, that he's moving things that um, may have been, I mean, I've been a believer for 50 years. Because I came to the Lord when I was five years old, and I'm 55, if you do the math. And, um, and I sense God. Moving things in me again and afresh and again. And so perhaps he's doing that in you as well. And that's a good thing because that just means he loves us. One of the biological definitions of death is an organism that is no longer changing. So as long as we're alive and breathing, we're going to continue to change continue to be transformed. At least I, I want to be, right? I want God to continue to do his work in me. So if you have your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5, which is where the Sermon on the Mount begins. And as you're finding that in your scriptures, um, 
me just again give you a, a brief orientation to the sermon as, as we are unfolding it and unpacking it here. The, the, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' brilliantly crafted message, which invites us to be discipled into the blessed life, that's the, the whole Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 3 to 12, and the good life in Matthew 5, 13 to 7, 27, the life of his kingdom. Now, as king, Jesus actually fulfills the law and reigns through his rule in our hearts. At the beginning of Matthew 5, right after the Beatitudes, Jesus talks about, uh, and, and I preached a message called Fulfilled, and I encourage you to, to get a hold of that message and others. They're in the back. You can pick up the CD and PowerPoints, or you can go on the website, uh, BethelTwinCities.org, and just click the media, and you can find these. I would really encourage you, if you've not been connecting yet with the messages, to do so, um, because they'll really help you and help us continue to walk together as a community. But as king, Jesus fulfills the law and reigns through his rule in our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. We live out this blessed and good life. So let me pause there for a moment. The inside out, again, that's that moving of the stones in our heart. Jesus isn't simply interested in rearranging the furniture in your living room so that it looks better. He's actually interested in dealing with foundation stuff in our lives, not so that we simply look better, so that we live better. Okay? So he transforms us, and that happens from the inside out. The law tried to do everything from the outside in. Jesus, in the fulfilling of the law, says, now I'm going to write this on your hearts, and I'm going to begin to change you from the inside out. So he lived out this blessed and good life, not by slavishly following the rules and regulation of the law, but rather, listen to this very carefully. I, 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 I actually take time when I'm writing these things down to, to think through and allow what I hope is the heart of God to come through. So listen carefully. It's not slavishly following the rules and regulations of the law. It's rather freely and fully, catch those two words, freely and fully submitting and surrendering to the living law, Jesus. So the Sermon on the Mount is not about a new legalism. Jesus says your, your, um, your righteousness must exceed the the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers, the people who are doing it the very best, but you've got to be better than the very best. And everybody groans and says, oh, how do we do that? Well, we'll groan too if we're trying to do it in our own ability from the outside in, in our own strength and smarts and gifts and capacities. Now, it's by fully submitting and surrendering to Jesus. That's what it's about more Surrender. More surrender. More submission. That's what he continually calls us to. So, again, these, we're, we're moving from rules and regulations to principles that go after motive and attitude, heart stuff. We're moving from a righteousness destination, I can arrive to a journey towards a righteous destiny. There's a movement, a calling in my life that Jesus is bringing me into. We're moving from sin management to discovering and following God's will. It's not just simply about managing my sin, but it's about a positive, proactive submitting to and following the will of God. 
And this one, the fourth one, is one that I've added. So if you've been following along, you haven't seen this one before. But this is sort of a fresh understanding that I'm getting even as I'm preaching through this series of messages. And that is that this is from individual self-interest to community other interest. The context, again, of the whole Sermon on the Mount, it's so easy for us. It's just so natural for us because of our culture, at least American culture, to read it from an individualistic mindset that Jesus is only interested in my heart, but actually he is interested in your heart, but he's interested in your heart for the sake of the community around you. That's going to certainly be true in our passage today, which is one of the passages that we know and, and people really like in some ways, but again, my question is, have we actually read it? What Jesus says. All right, so we're going to be looking at true justice today. Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 42. Matthew 5, verses 38 to 42. You have heard it said that it was said, I for an eye, tooth for tooth. Now remember, but but I tell you. Now remember, I, I, I mentioned this perhaps the last couple of weeks, when Jesus, the words here don't capture it in an English translation, but, but you have heard it said, and he speaks to the crowd, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I'm saying to you individually. Now, Jesus gets up really nice and close in our face. He says, but I'm going to tell you, I've got something that I want to share with your heart today. This isn't about the crowds. This is about you. And when I change you, you're going to become a change agent in your community in the kingdom of God. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. All right. Well, let's unpack that. First of all, let's look at some background. For background, we need to go back to Exodus chapter 21, 23 to 25. This is regulations that are given in the context of well, first there's been the, the, the giving of the Ten Commandments, and then there's the, the unfolding of the laws around that and the legal code that is being established for the people of Israel so that they will live together as a community rightly before God. All right, so if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now, there's a couple of things. I want to begin with some reorientation here because when we read that, we often read and go, oh, man, this is just like a blood fest. But we misunderstand what the law was actually given for. First of all, and again, this is given... In the context, and, and, and Jesus talks about in other places that, you know, I, I give you, the, these were given because of your hardness of heart, okay? Because of the reality of how human beings live their lives, there, there's some things that need to, to, to be 
ordered here, all right, so that living in community can happen at all. But the first thing you need to understand, because, because a lot of times people will use this as justification for retaliation. But in fact, this law was given to restrain excesses. Because what would happen was, if somebody's eye was taken out, the person, the retribution, before the law was established, the retribution would be, well, you took out my eye, I'm going to take off your head. But this isn't saying you must take an eye for an eye, because, do you hear this? I mean, people know this scripture and they use it in really distorted ways. Well, the Bible says an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Means I gotta go, somebody plucked out my... Well, now we're both blind. Right? The Bible's saying, not saying, not commanding that you have to take an eye for an eye, it's saying you cannot take more than an eye for an eye. You get, do you understand that? The second thing in the context, again, people take the Bible out of context. It's just, you know, amazing that they do that, but they do, all right? So the implementation of this was to be in courts and not individuals. In other words, I'm taking it out of your hand, out of an individual's hand, and I'm putting it into the hands of a system that is supposed to operate in a just way. All right. Now. Whew. So let's talk about some principles. These are going to be bracing for us to get a hold of. From retaliation to non-resistance. I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6 and 7. If you've got your Bible or your device, or you can just mark this in your notes. Prophet Isaiah is saying, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint and know that I will not be put to shame. Peterson, can you come on up and help me for a moment? Uh, I was going to have my son, but he's helping today. So. Somebody slaps you on the right cheek. If I'm right-handed, stand looking at me. It's all right, bud. If I'm going to slap Peterson on the right cheek with my right hand, Slap him with the back of my hand. Now I can do that to Peterson, and you can tell he's, you know, 
who's been working out to, to look more like me. Um, <laughs> so, um, but I'm not going to actually do physical injury to him when I slap him. But in the culture that we're talking about, this would be the most disgraceful and shameful thing that I could do. I mean, this would be this would be degrading him as a human being if I slapped him at the back of the head. Jesus says, if somebody does that to you, give them the other. Still appreciating the Sermon on the Mount? So what's the principle? Let me try to speak to that. When you offer the other cheek, you're saying, you do not have the power to insult me and degrade me and put me down. I'm a child of God and a citizen of his kingdom, and only he has the right to define who I am. So this posture begins to overcome this cycle of retribution and actually begins to pave the way for reconciliation. Let me tell you a a, a brief story about this. A famous Cornish evangelist, Billy Bray, before his conversion was a pugilist. Do you know what a pugilist is? A boxer. And a very good one. Billy Bray was converted, but one day, down in the mine, another man who used to live in mortal dread and terror of Billy Bray before Bray's conversion, knowing that he was converted, thought that he had last found his opportunity. This is a true story. Without any provocation at all, he struck Billy Bray, who could very easily have revenged himself upon him and laid him unconscious on the ground. But instead of doing that, Billy Bray looked at him and said, May God forgive you, even as I forgive you, and said no more. The result was that the man endured for several days an agony of mind and spirit which led directly to his conversion. He knew what Billy Bray could do and he knew what the natural man in Billy Bray wanted to do, but Billy Bray didn't do it and that's how God used him. Now there's something, you know, and (laughs) this is going to be another of those messages that's going to raise a whole lot more questions than, than answers. Okay. But I want you to understand that, that, that Jesus here is getting after our hearts. And Jesus isn't saying here that I must stand by and watch somebody else degraded and demeaned and put down. But that I can stand on behalf of the voiceless and the powerless to say, you have value. Because you were created by God. And this system or this person that is demeaning and degrading you does not define you. Only God gets to do that. From rights to release. From rights to release. If anyone wants to see you and take your shirt, Hand over your coat as well. 
Now, again, we need to know the contextual background here to understand this, because what, what, what the scripture is saying here, this, this whole thing about the shirt and the coat, um, this morning I'm wearing an undershirt, okay? So if somebody comes and asks me and says, can I take your undershirt, your undergarment, all right? It's, it's right here, all right? It's beautiful, all right? So somebody comes along and says, let me take your shirt. You were to give them your coat. Now, today I'm wearing a Corinne coat from the Corinne family, of our family of churches. But in those days, the coat was, I mean, that was, that was both your covering from the cold, it was your shelter. Your coat was the most valuable piece of, of that, that, that was your most valuable possession, was your coat. And in fact, there was, in the law, in Deuteronomy, there's, there's specific laws given that you cannot take another person's coat. Even if they owe you money, you cannot take their coat. Because it's the one thing that provides them with shelter, provides them with covering. It's verboten. But what did Jesus say? He says, if they ask you for that, for your shirt, your undershirt, give them, give them your coat as well. Well, let's look at 1 Corinthians 6, 7, and 8, because this is Paul's building on this here. And he says, the very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been, because again, we're talking here in the context of legal things here. So, so this this movement, we've moved to some legal stuff here. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means that you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers and sisters. Again, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is dealing with our life as it's lived, our lived life in community. And what he's saying, I think, what I'd like to offer to you is, this is what I've wrestled through to bring to you this morning, is this, when you offer your coat that other thing you were saying, well, I have the right to keep my coat. Because I do. I have my right. It says right here in the law, I can keep my coat. But I release it because God, my Father, will clothe and protect me. This radical unselfishness towards our rights releases us from victimhood into victorious open-handedness. We live in a rights-obsessed culture. But Jesus always focuses on responsibilities rather than rights, doesn't he? He's always after responsibility. Our responsibility, our ability to respond. And again, I I believe Jesus is, is helping us out of a trap that we could easily fall into of victimhood because all of us fall in that. And, and, and let me be clear again, just so, you know, there are times where we are victims of that which is unjust. There are people in this room who have been experienced incredible un- injustice. Okay? And yet, did not our Lord more than anyone else experience injustice? And so this is really an attitude of the heart 
saying, I want to free you from a trap of victimhood and actually bring you into a place of victorious open-handedness. Are you trusting me for provision? Are you trusting me to work it out? This is bracing stuff. I told you, this isn't easy. Have you read it? It's just not easy. But I'm, this is what Jesus says here. Okay, so one more here. There's actually two more, so the next one. From forced to freedom. From forced to freedom. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. <laughs> now, this is, again, there's specific cultural context here. They're under Roman occupation, and a Roman soldier could come up to you at any time and say, guess what? I am tired of carrying this pack. Carry it for me for the next mile. Jesus says, so therefore, this was Simon of Cyrene, remember? When Jesus and the cross, you remember? They had Simon, they forced him to take it. Jesus says, when they force you to take it, Smile and say, oh, yes. In fact, would you like me to carry that two miles for you? But in doing so, we reflect Jesus. John 10. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, authority to take it up again, this command I received from my Father. They didn't kill Jesus. He offered himself. He wasn't forced. He freely went. This is incredibly important. So when you walk the extra mile, you're saying, you're not my master with power over my life. My master is God alone. He has the power. He alone has the power to transform duty and drudgery into delight. This freedom opens the doors for others to move from slavery to sonship. Because we no longer have a slave mentality. We are free. We're sons of God. Another true story. Michael Green was speaking at a in a conference, and, and he met someone, a, a, a black Christian leader in South Africa, and he asked him how he responded on the many occasions he had been humiliated and pushed around by whites. And he replied along these lines, when I've been unjustly forced into some mental, some menial action, I complete it and then turn and ask my boss if there is anything else that he would like me to do to help him. This totally takes the wind out of his sails, for he can hardly believe any wrong party would respond like that. Again, Jesus is giving here an ethic that's speaking to our hearts. This does not mean that we can willingly participate in the systemic degradation of 
people groups and peoples because of, you know, and all of that. No, but Jesus is subverting and reconverting and transforming and undermining a system where some folk have the power and other folk only have the duty. But again, this transformation begins from the inside out. It begins with an attitude change in us that says, only God's my master. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do whatever, but I'm going to do for him. One last principle from selflessness, from selfishness to selflessness. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. We've been learning what it means to be a generous house. Chris Vanderkoy, our finance ministry coordinator, has been kind of been hammering us in a really good way about opening our hearts. We've talked about this a lot in ministry coordinator meetings and other places, just this sense of God calling us to this place of open-handed generosity. And Jesus says something here that's pretty radical. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Deuteronomy 15. Now, now again, the context is they were using the law to get out of actually helping. Oh, no, we've, we're giving our tithe here. and He'll get to that later with the Pharisees who are, you know, following the quote-unquote obligations of doing the, the right religious thing, but doing it in such a way to actually enable them to free themselves from fulfilling the obligations of generosity. They weren't actually generous. Deuteronomy 15, 7 and 8, if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. 1 John 3, 16 and 18, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We had to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and see a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. So when you wisely and willingly open your heart and open your hand, you open your life to the favor of God flowing to and through you. So I mean, there's some, there's some really practical challenges here, aren't there? If you've traveled at all, you know that there are beggars everywhere. Do I give everything I have? Do I empty myself of all, all that is in my pocket in order? Well. This is where the wisely and willingly comes in. The wisely is to allow the Lord to give us discernment, not to to simply build up walls of hard-heartedness so that we don't help those who are in need, but so that we have what we can give and what we do have we can use in, in order to actually begin to change the economics in somebody's life. Sometimes just giving somebody a $20 bill isn't going to actually be. I remember 
many years ago, I won't mention who, but um, one of our uh, leaders was coming to a meeting, and uh, they never made it to the meeting. And the reason why, they saw somebody who was standing by the side of the road who needed money. But rather than giving them money, the, this person felt very prompted in their spirit to take this person for breakfast, which they did. So they took them for breakfast and ended up in a conversation and ended up with an opportunity there to begin to share the love of Jesus, to do much more than what could have been the easy thing to do is just to slip out a 10 and hand it to them, actually take and interact and get involved in, in, into their lives. And at the prompting of the Lord, at the... At the, at the direction of God. But the, the thing is, I mean, before we come up with all of the reasons why we can't or shouldn't give or shouldn't lend or all of those things, perhaps in that foundation stone in our life that needs to be shifted and adjusted is, do I have an open heart? Am I willing to actually give? Am I willing? I think God will bring the wisdom when there's the willingness, right? For many of us, the problem is the willingness. <laughs> Correct? Right? You know, so maybe some of your pocketbooks need a workout so that they don't go, yeah, ouch, when they open up. All right? This is a year of favor. The Lord releasing his favor to us so that it can be released through us. All right. You got it. Here's the promise. Now, you're going to love this scripture. This is one of those promises that you're going to really want to hang on to. All right? But here's where we're bringing it home. Because I think this is, this is, this is, the, this is the heart of the heart. Here's, here's where, okay, and we're going to get to this passage later because it's out of Matthew a little further on. So we'll get there again. I'm just going to mention it this morning. So Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So here's the promise. The promise is this. We will find our true life when we lose our false one. You've got to lose your false life in order to receive your true life. Lose your false life to receive your true life. Hmm. George Mueller, pretty famous dude, man of faith. He wrote these words. There was a day when I died. I utterly died to George Mueller and his opinions, preferences, tastes, and will. Died to the world, its approval or censure. Died to the approval or blame of even my brethren and friends. And since then, I have studied only to show myself approved to God. I love the old leadership cartoon that's the best thing about Leadership Magazine is the cartoons. But the folks sitting around at a Bible study and the, you know, this scripture about dying to yourself is read and this woman says, well, I, I can't really say that I've ever died to myself, but I did feel faint once. 
A lot of us have felt faint once or twice. But here we're full circle back to fully surrendering and submitting, which is a process. I can't tell you how many times in my life, and even right now where the Lord is again, he's digging even deeper, and, he's, and I'm like, but I thought I was dead. And he says, there's a bit more. He's this dying to ourself. It's not like, you know, I got my life's worth a million dollars or whatever it's worth, and I hand over the check and it's done. Uh, it, it tends to be given a quarter at a time, a buck at a time, a fiver at a time. He says, I've got some more. i got another deeper place to call you to. So again, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, retribution, all of that. But I'm going to say this to you, that I want to invite you to make a movement from retaliation to non-resistance, which flows. I want to invite you to move from your rights to release. I want to invite you to move from a place of being forced to freedom. I want to invite you to move from selfishness to selflessness in your individual heart and in the context of the corporate, which is not what Jesus is addressing here in the sense of he's, he's not talking about civil rights and, and, and societal because there, there's all of that that's necessary and we must stand unwaveringly again the Bible is so clear on behalf of the voiceless and the powerless and the distressed. But he's saying to you and me, you are not a victim. You are victorious. You are not a slave. You are a son. No one else is your master, only me. No one else defines who you are. Only I get to do that. Because I made you. Because you're my child. And here's how we're going to close. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just ask Gene, if you would just come to the piano. I just want, just for right now, just for this. Worship team, be ready in a moment. But Gene, where are you, Gene? Here, Gene. There you are, Gene. we're going to sing this simple, not so simple hymn. And it's going to be our prayer this morning. So I'll lead the hymn, so we don't need Jean's mic on right now. She'll just play the piano here for us. Just open our hands, open our hearts, and pray this song.
on him for a moment in quiet. that you're not satisfied with our outward obedience. Thank you, God. You're interested in redeeming our hearts. Lord, it's our desire to respond to you. And in the place of the revelation of our own weakness and inability, Lord, to rid ourselves of our selfishness, God, our desire is to say, do it, Lord. You do it, Jesus. Lord, you're good enough not only to point out, God, where we need fixing, but God, you do the fixing. So God, we're willing, we're willing in the deepest places to be healed, to be responsive, and to walk it out, Father. So help us, Lord, as we leave this morning, God, and re-enter <laughs> our lives, Father. God, we pray for the grace to walk through our lives and to see, God, those areas and those places. Lord, we invite the sword of the word of the Lord to come to our lives, Lord, as we walk through we invite you, Jesus, to reveal to us those places where we have demanded our rights, where we have, in our hearts, avoided generosity. Lord, we invite you to reveal it to us, knowing, God, that you provide the power for change. And God, Though it's difficult, though you push us, you are loving. God, you are freeing. So, Lord, we ask that as we leave, that we would walk in that true freedom. That we would know, Lord, that you define us. That you cover us. You care for us. We can let go of all that, trying to carry that ourselves. Because, Lord, you do it. And you do it so well. <laughs> you do it so well, Jesus. I want to invite you, if that's the prayer of your heart, just say amen. Amen.